welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. This program is intended for a print-impaired audience and is brought to you by the Georgia Radio Reading Service, GARS. Hello, I'm Paula Ferguson, and this is the AARP Magazine. I will begin reading from the January-February 2023 edition of the AARP Bulletin. Our first article, under In the News, Assisted Care, Many in Nursing Homes Given Chemical Straightjacket Drugs. Eight in ten nursing home residents on Medicare were prescribed psychiatric drugs during a recent nine-year period, a government report found. That's roughly a million residents per year. The report, released in November by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, suggests that years-long efforts are failing to curtail overuse of psychiatric drugs in America's nursing homes. The drugs known as psychotropics have long been criticized by nursing home resident advocates and lawmakers as chemical straitjackets used to sedate unruly patients, particularly those with dementia. They include anti-anxiety agents, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and other drugs that affect brain activity and behavior. From 2011 to 2019, about 80% of long-stay Medicare residents nationwide, those in a nursing home for 101 consecutive days or longer, were prescribed some type of psychotropic drug, according to the report. We are deeply concerned for the residents that continue to face the inappropriate and dangerous use of these drugs, said Kelly Bagby, Vice President of Litigation at AARP Foundation, which has sued nursing homes for incorrectly administering psychotropic drugs. The use of psychotropic drugs in older adults comes with serious risks. Antipsychotics can increase mortality risk in patients treated for dementia-related psychosis. Some anticonvulsant medications can cause life-threatening reactions, including liver failure and increased risk of suicide and antidepressants can make older adults more vulnerable to headaches, gastrointestinal issues, cognitive impairment, and falls. Then we have homeless crisis grows among older Americans. Americans 55 plus represent a rising part of the national homelessness crisis and forecasts suggest a dramatic increase in the number of older individuals who will be unable to secure housing over the coming decade according to an AARP.org news report. America's estimated homeless count stood at 580,466 as of 2020, and 18%, roughly the population of Boulder, Colorado, were 55 and older, according to data from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. There's been a trend over the last several years where we're seeing many other older adults who are homeless, says Richard Cho, HUD's HUD's Senior Advisor for Housing and Services. From 2009 to 2017, the number of people aged 62 or older who were homeless nearly doubled, Cho says. Soaring housing costs and the worst inflation in America in 40 years have exacerbated the situation. Advocates say the shortage of affordable housing has hit older Americans especially hard, says Rodney Harrell. Vice President of Family, Home, and Community for AARP. We don't have enough housing options, particularly for folks with lower incomes, Harold says. 
For the full report on homelessness among older Americans and profiles of people living unsheltered, go to aarp.org slash homeless after 50. And then on this same page, we have wait times soar for Social Security hearings. Getting a hearing for Social Security on a disability claim can take more than 1.5 years as some of the agency's least responsive offices. An analysis of AARP's government affairs staff of September Social Security Administration data shows getting a resolution on other issues also was taking longer than ever. As many as 10,000 people die each year waiting to hear from the Agency on Disability Claims, according to the Government Accountability Office. And there's a map of the United States and their numbers that are representing the different states. Here are the average wait times in months for a disability claim hearing at 10 of the offices with the worst response times. In Portland, Oregon, it is 22 months. Sacramento, California, 19 months. San Francisco, California, 20 months. Colorado Springs, Colorado, 20 months. Albuquerque, New Mexico, 18 months. Phoenix, Arizona, 21 months. Rio Grande Valley, Texas, 20 months. Dallas, Texas, 21 months. Huntington, West Virginia, 18 months. And Greenville, South Carolina, 19 months. And that concludes wait time soar for Social Security hearings, as well as homeless crisis grows among older Americans. And our initial story, many are nursing homes given chemical straitjacket drugs. And then there's a small photo inset of a gentleman standing to the side of a computer screen with a keyboard in front of it. Relativity. Does a ride on a packed subway feel longer than on a less crowded train? Absolutely, says researchers at Cornell University, who created virtual reality programs simulating New York subway trains that were packed or less full. They documented that crowding created stress that caused subjects to estimate a ride lasted much longer. Next, we have a small article about five amazing facts about the human heart. Number one, the blood vessels in your heart are the most likely to clog. The reasons? Blood flows in two directions in many arteries, creating turbulence that can damage artery walls, which makes it easier for plaque to set in. And coronary arteries have lots of branches and bends, which are prime real estate for atherosclerosis. Number two, nearly half of all heart attacks have no symptoms. According to a 2016 Wake Forest University study, no symptom heart attacks were more common in men, but deadlier in women. Number three, the best food for your heart, it might be bananas. In a 2020 analysis of studies involving more than 4 million people, bananas were associated with 24% lower risk for coronary heart disease. But all produce helps. People who munched the most fruit and vegetables had 11% less cardiovascular disease than those who ate the least. Number four, spare parts for your heart may come from outer space. In 2020, NASA blasted cardiac stem cells into space for an Emory University study seeking to find out whether they would become beating heart muscle cells faster in zero-gravity conditions. The stem cells became heart cells in just three weeks. Researchers hope to use them for heart failure repairs, a therapy that could require up to 150 million cells per treatment. And number five, 
A great sport for your heart? Grab a racket. A study that tracked 80,306 adults for nine years found that tennis and badminton cut risk for fatal cardiovascular disease by 59%. Swimming and aerobics lowered the odds by 41 and 36% respectively. Distance running was less effective. Some research suggests it could have a negative impact. And that is five amazing facts about the human heart. Next, we have Eat for a Powerful Heart. A nutrition plan for AARP helps keep you leaner, stronger, and healthier by Stephen Perrine with Heidi Skolink. Your heart doctor may ask if you're avoiding saturated fat or what you're doing to control your weight, but doctors seldom ask, are you taking care of your muscles? We lose about 5% of our total muscle mass every decade after age 30. But science shows that those who retain muscle as they age lower their risk of metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, and inflammation, all risk factors for heart disease. That's why AARP developed the Whole Body Reset, a program designed to stop and reverse age-related muscle loss and weight gain. The primary cause of age-related muscle loss is anabolic resistance, Essentially, we can't turn the protein we eat into muscle as efficiently as we did when we were younger. In order to overcome this resistance, we need higher doses of protein at each meal, 25 grams at a time for women or 30 grams for men. Anything less than that and your body remains in muscle loss mode. Fat starts to win out and heart health suffers. In addition to protein, we need a mix of high-fiber grains, high-nutrient fruits and vegetables, and healthy fats to keep heart-harming fat-promoting inflammation under control. Here's your plan. Eat 25 to 30 grams of protein at each meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Make sure every snack you eat has at least some protein as well. Cheese on that cracker, peanut butter with that apple. Women should aim for at least 75 to 100 grams of total protein every day, while men should shoot for at least 90 to 120 grams. Up your intake of high-fiber grains, cereals, and beans. In one study following 2,735 people, women who ate the least amount of fiber were 2.9 times as likely to die from inflammatory diseases, such as heart disease. And research has found that for every additional 10 grams of fiber you eat each day, you reduce your risk of stroke by 12%. Eat more colorful fruits and vegetables. Aim for 8 to 10 small servings a day. Fruits and vegetables provide fiber as well as vitamins, minerals, and thousands of micronutrients called phytochemicals. As we age, our ability to extract these nutrients from food diminishes, and that's another reason why inflammation increases. Enjoy healthy fats and oils from seafood, nuts, seeds, olives, and avocados. Two servings a day will help keep you lean and sharp. Whether you're enjoying a serving of salmon, a spoonful of peanut butter, some chips and guacamole, or toasted bread dipped in extra virgin olive oil. Focus on fortified dairy. Worry more about getting enough calcium-rich dairy than about whether it's low-fat or not. One study found that those who ate three servings of whole-fat dairy had lower risks of heart disease and stroke than those who ate one serving. Dairy also delivers muscle-building protein. Don't drink your calories or chemicals. In particular, don't think you're doing yourself a favor by drinking diet sodas. They've been linked to an increased risk of heart disease, dementia, and stroke. 
Keep it simple with filtered water, sparkling water, tea, and or coffee. It's fine to add a little milk. And that's Eat for a Powerful Heart. A nutrition plan for AARP helps keep you leaner, stronger, and healthier by Stephen Perrine with Heidi Schooling. We have a small article here, Ask the Fraud Team. I received a letter saying someone with my same name was dying and wanted to give their estate to me. It sounds fishy. Response, you are right to be suspicious. It's almost certainly a scam. If you went through with it, there would be some sort of good faith fee or payment due from you to them, which they would take and then either disappear or keep pressing you for more. My husband got a call from someone claiming to be with our utility company with a threat to turn off our power if we didn't pay up. Was that legit? Response, no. Utility companies will notify you by mail if you are overdue in your payments. Often during changes in the weather or extreme temperatures, criminals pose as utilities to try to scare people into sending them money. Hang up on those callers and let the actual utility company know these calls are happening. I needed to call my bank, and so I did an online search for the phone number, and five different numbers came up. What's up with that? Response, this is a new trend. Criminals place fake customer service phone numbers online to trick people into calling them. If you need to call customer service, always go directly to the website of the company or look on your account statement or on the back of your bank card. And that is Ask the Fraud Team. Our next article from Your Life, Your Money Isn't Good Here, Why Some Businesses No Longer Accept Hard Cash and What You Can Do About It, by Kim Porter. You see it as business ranging from massive stadiums to mom-and-pop shops, signs that firmly state, cash not accepted. Though credit and debit cards have been a regular payment option for decades, advancing technology and staffing trends have turned some businesses away from paper money altogether. The pandemic, with an emphasis on hygiene and social distancing, accelerated that trend. The share of cashless businesses more than doubled from February 2020 to February 2021. Here are answers to questions about what exactly is going on and what the trend might mean for you. I thought stores made more money if you paid in cash. Has that changed? A response. There was a time when some businesses sought to avoid paying fees for credit card transactions by encouraging cash payments. But the dynamics of retail are changing. Now, even with those fees, which average 2.22% of each Visa or MasterCard transaction, a cashless business can be more profitable. Improved point-of-sale technology has made processing electronic payments much quicker than taking cash and making change, and that speed can increase total sales. Take the example of Sweet Green. The salad restaurant chain experimented with going cashless in 2016 and reported that those stores recorded up to 15% more transactions an hour than its stores that took cash. Those locations also saved about two hours per day on cash management work, such as balancing registered drawers and making bank deposits. This prompted the company to implement cashless operations at all stores, although it backed away from that after some customer backlash. Other business benefits of eliminated cash included simplified bookkeeping, as software tracks all transactions and spits out reports and a reduced risk of loss or theft. In some cases, businesses can reduce staff, such as parking lots where machines that process credit and debit card transactions have replaced attendance. One more bonus for the company, people generally tend to buy more and tip more when they use their plastic than with cash, 
says Matt Schultz, the chief credit analyst at LendingTree. Where is this all headed? A 2021 survey by transaction tech company Square showed that most consumers and small business owners don't think cash will disappear entirely in the U.S., but attitudes are changing. In the survey, 22% of small business owners envision a fully cashless society within 10 years. That's up from only 13% who thought that in 2019. How has the technology improved? You've probably noticed that many businesses have adopted tablet-based sales systems as a modern form of cash register. They often will allow you to enter a tip onto the transaction and tap your card to a sensor to complete the transaction in seconds. Other electronic payment options have emerged, including Apple Pay and Google Play, which allow you to complete a transaction by holding your phone to a sensor, depending on how you set up the whole mobile wallet on your device. It either withdraws funds from your bank account or charges a purchase to your credit card. In a 2020 report by Marketa, a payment technology company, nearly half of consumers ages 51 to 64 said they use such mobile wallets, not just for retail transactions, but also to reimburse friends and tip service workers. One often given reason for this, paying with the phone often is handier than fishing a wallet out of a purse or pocket and pulling out a card. But there are other factors. Mobile payments are more secure even than the card itself because there's a biometric component, says Ted Rossman, senior credit card industry analyst for Bankrate. In many cases, you have to scan your face or your fingerprint to use the mobile wallet. Another pandemic spark trend driving the cashless economy is curbside and in-store pickup. Over the past three years, millions of older Americans began ordering and paying for items through an app or a website before going to the store or restaurant. Among adults older than 50 who started using curbside pickup during the pandemic, 18% say they'll continue the habit, according to a study from the Associated Press, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, and the SCAN Foundation. Even for those who don't continue with curbside pickups, the fear and confusion of paying electronically has been overcome. Also note that you don't lose out on rewards, points, or rebates by using a mobile payment instead of a card. The same benefits apply based on the account the payment is tied to. How are consumers reacting? It would be simple to say that older people lack the technological skills to adapt to cashless payments, but credit cards have been around since the 1950s. Automated teller machines and debit cards became common in the 1980s, and consumers adopted debit cards widely for in-store transactions in the 1990s and 2000s. More likely, many of those who grew up in an earlier era may prefer the psychology of paying with cash. I feel I have more control over my money, says Michael Stevens, 67, a furniture restorer in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Cash is the legal tender for the country. You should be able to pay for a service or an item with it. About 15% of Americans, 55 and older, use cash for most or all purchases, according to a 2022 Gallup poll. Nearly two-thirds of people, 70 to 87, don't own a smartphone, which keeps them from making mobile payments and in-app purchases. And some people simply prefer cash to keep from overspending or because of privacy concerns, says Tom Camber, executive director of Senior Planet from AARP, a technology education service. 
A movement away from cash disadvantages older adults if it becomes required, Canberra says. You've got a real risk of creating serious social inequities. Schultz says the issue isn't limited to any demographic. There are people of all ages, races, income levels, and types who would prefer to pay with cash, he says. If you eliminate cash, you leave a lot of people behind. Is refusing cash even legal? It is true that these words are printed on U.S. currency. This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. But historically, there were no laws that said a business must accept cash. Some cities and states have passed laws in recent years to make sure consumers can pay with cash in most instances. Some examples are New York City, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, as well as New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. In 2021, a bill was introduced in the House of Representatives that would establish a federal law prohibiting businesses from refusing cash. Schultz doesn't think such a federal law will pass, but he feels it could help consumers, particularly the 5.9 million unbanked Americans, those without bank accounts. Some businesses are coming to this conclusion, too. When Sweet Green reversed its decision to go fully cashless, a statement from the business said, everyone in the community needs to have access to real food. Kim Porter has written for U.S. News and World Report, Time Magazine's Next Advisor, and other media outlets. And there's a small note in AARP the magazine, get guidance on smart cash management as part of your savings and investment portfolio in the February-March issue. And there's a photo inset of a cemetery headstone. And on the cemetery headstone are the letters R-I-P cash. And there are several dollar bills that are sticking up from the ground. And there are two roses that are also on the headstone that has R.I.P. cash. Our next article is Q&A, John Meacham. Lincoln's life is a powerful warning for us. Prize winning biographer on what the 16th president can teach us about a divided nation. There's a photo inset. John Meacham is a Pulitzer Prize winning author and historian. Why write a new biography on Abraham Lincoln now? Americans are as divided now as we've been since the 1850s. The fate of the Union fell to Lincoln, not just in a literal sense, but also in a moral sense. His question was, could a government devoted to the proposition that all men are created equal, long, endure? We face that question now. I think that Lincoln's life is, in some ways, a powerful warning to us. How so? Our likely path forward requires economic opportunity, which Lincoln understood. He said in 1864 that the war was to create an open field and a fair chance for all. To create that requires our seeing that doing the right thing is not just good for other people, but it's good for us. If I respect your dignity and equality, you are more likely to respect mine. If I don't respect yours, there's very little chance you're going to respect mine. That argument has to be made again. What in Lincoln's leadership style should today's politicians be learning from? Lincoln shows us how great presidents can achieve more than one goal at a time by underscoring the centrality of union in the North, urging on the free states to fight even if they were less than impassioned about ending slavery, he secured both the union and emancipation. 
The leadership lesson for us is that you can't be overly interested in why people are doing what they're doing as long as they're doing what you think they should do. Your book has the immediacy of journalism. Why does Lincoln's era feel so alive to us? I like to see what historical arguments resonate now. What do they tell us about the current movement? I hope these arguments help readers as they try to navigate a remarkably tumultuous period in the life of this country. After studying Lincoln, what advice do you have for today's lawmakers? I'm a citizen, and it seems to me pretty clear that there is a lot of work to be done. There was a lot of work to be done for Abraham Lincoln, and he got a lot done. He really did, not just winning a difficult war, but with the Transcontinental Railroad, the Homestead Act. Yes, it's really a rich legislative record with the war going on. He argued that people weren't simply fighting for the past, they were fighting for the future. His view was that men always act on incentive. So to convince working class white people that the union was worth fighting for, he needed to make sure that they understood that the means of social and economic mobility would be in place under that union. In his second inaugural address with Bloody War Raging, Lincoln used the phrase, with malice toward none, with charity for all. How can today's Americans embrace that spirit? Well, it was hard to embrace then, and it's hard to embrace now. What he was arguing for was that the country would look forward, not backward. His view was to try to bring the family back together. Lincoln's view of reconstruction, I sometimes think, was like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. That is, you bring southern states back, you welcome them, and you move forward. What of Lincoln's era gives you hope? That imperfect people have created a more perfect union, and they weren't necessarily any better equipped to do so than we are. Human beings have done great things. That doesn't mean that we will, but it does suggest that we can. Winston Churchill once said, The future is unknowable, but the past should give us hope. I agree with that. Did anything about the November elections make you more hopeful? I think democracy was part of the matrix, and that hasn't happened in a very long time, where you had to put that into your calculus. But just enough people did. The country was in a better place at the end of 2022 than at the beginning of 2022. That doesn't mean we'll be in a great place by the end of 2024. But as Lincoln told us, we may not move forward quickly, but we don't move back. Interview by Hugh Delahanty. And our final article for today, where's the cashier? More retailers ask customers to place orders or check out on their own. Fast food restaurants want you to order your meal by entering it on a touch screen. Supermarkets would prefer that you scan your own groceries at checkout. Many parking garages have long abandoned attendance. The cashless society is one thing. But are you prepared for the clerkless society? It's a long-standing effort to figure out how to peel away bits of labor cost and figure out how they can get customers to do more of the work, says Christopher Andrews, a sociologist at Drew University and author of The Overworked Consumer, Self-Checkouts, Supermarkets, and the Do-It-Yourself Economy. Though some self-service systems accept cash through bill readers, the popularity of paying with credit cards, debit cards, and other digital payments has made self-service more viable. But this doesn't make it more desirable. Machines can be glitchy, items can be difficult to scan, and the systems are typically slower than human cashiers. Andrew says, when we're waiting in line, we're keenly aware of time passing. When we're physically doing things, time seems to move faster. 
but in fact, customers scan items more slowly than a cashier. We don't know where the UPC codes are, or we don't have all the codes for the produce memorized, Andrew said. The human cashier is familiar with all of it. Though younger consumers are growing up with self-checkout and may expect it, older Americans live through this transition and are rightfully skeptical of it, he says. They say, wait a minute, is my food cheaper? What's in this for me? Retailers have deployed self-checkout with mixed results. Walmart has pushed many of its stores to primarily rely on such stations or scan-and-go apps where customers use their phone to scan items as they shop. But Wegmans grocery stores shut down their scan-and-go option in late 2022 due to an increase in shoplifting. Andrew says we're unlikely to see self-checkout and robots taking over our shopping experiences entirely. People put a value on being served by another person. Lexi Pendel is the author. And that concludes Where's the Cashier? More retailers ask customers to place orders or check out on their own. And that concludes today's edition of the AARP magazine. This has been Paula Ferguson for the Georgia Radio Reading Service. Thank you for listening to GARS. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. This program is intended for a print-impaired audience and is brought to you by Mind's Eye. Welcome to the Blindness and Disability News Hour from Mind's Eye Radio in Belleville, Illinois. This program covers the week of February 26th, 2023. Thanks for joining us this week. By the time you're listening to this, February will be in the rearview mirror. Welcome to March. We've got lots of interesting stories for you this week, so let's get started. We're going to turn to visionaware.org and the Be My Eyes and APH Connect Center, an exciting partnership. This was posted on February 24th. In 2015, APH Vision Aware published a post by Audrey Demet, peer advisor, about a new app called Be My Eyes. In that post, Audrey said, I am visually impaired and recently tried this app on the recommendation of my optometrist, John Hennehan, who also wrote about the experience. Dr. Hennehan said, quote, I love being an eye doctor. As eye doctors, we have a variety of special tools available to us to help those with vision impairment. But sometimes there is no substitute for a pair of eyes to see something. By initiating a video chat, a person who is blind or low vision can ask a friend or family member for assistance if they are available. The problem is, is that there isn't always a friend or family member available. That is where you and I can help. A brilliant new app called Be My Eyes has recently launched. And remember, that was in 2015. So let's fast forward to 2023. In case you haven't heard the news, the APH, or American Printing House for the Blind Connect Center, is excited to announce our recent partnership with Be My Eyes, the app that many adults who are blind or low vision have come to love and use for assistance from a sighted volunteer. Be My Eyes now features the APH Connect Center listed in the, quote, specialized help, unquote, section of the app. Simply tap to browse specialized help, select blindness organizations, 
and touch the APH Connect Center to be connected to an agent in seconds who can assist with questions and provide resources resulting to life with low vision and blindness. What is the history of Be My Eyes? According to Audrey's post, the idea for Be My Eyes originates from the Danish furniture craftsman Hans Jürgen Wilberg, who started losing his vision at age 25. He wanted to make the everyday lives of people who are blind or low vision easier and to provide a new flexible opportunity to volunteer. To quote Wilberg, or Weberg, I'm sorry, it is flexible, takes only a few minutes to help, and the app is, therefore, a good opportunity for the busy, modern individual with the energy to help others, unquote. What does the Be My Eyes app do? The Be My Eyes app helps people who are blind or low vision to see to complete a task that requires vision. Through a direct video call, the app offers help from a sighted volunteer who can see and describe the situation by using the user's smartphone video camera. So, in that way, the person who is blind or low vision and the sighted volunteer work together to solve the problem. How did it help Audrey in 2015? Quote, on my first call, someone in Stockholm, Sweden answered. It was morning for me and evening for them. The volunteer helped me choose between a regular coffee and a decaf coffee pod for my Keurig. All I had to do was point my phone at what I wanted to see, and it showed up on the camera. The call lasted a minute or so. After thanking the volunteer, I tapped the bottom of the screen to disconnect the call." Unquote. And other peers chime in on their recent experiences. And first, let's hear from Elizabeth Sammons. Elizabeth has a similar story of utilizing assistance from someone in another country. Quote, on my way back from a meeting, I had planned to eat out at a Chinese restaurant on my own, but when I got there, the door was locked. I called Be My Eyes to see if something was on the door to explain the closure. The young lady who answered had an accent, but she had no trouble reading the sign stating the unexpected shutdown amidst the pandemic. In the background, I could hear the nasal honking of horns that sounded different from those in the USA. After our work talk, I asked her where she was. Quote, I'm in Cairo, Egypt, she said. I was waiting for my bus, unquote. So, there we had an Arab-language volunteer from the Middle East reading a Chinese restaurant signed to an American. You gotta love it, unquote. And this from Empish Thomas. Quote, Today I was trying to use my new battery-operated can open called Kitchen Mama. I am tired of manual can openers, so I bought this one. Well, I got the batteries in okay, but for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to get my can open. So, I called Be My Eyes, and a couple attempted to help me. It was hard to hold the phone and the can opener and to keep the can from slipping, but I was able to do it. The funny thing is, they were giving me the directions, but I was not understanding. I thought I had to place the top where the metal magnet is located on the top of the can. Actually, the magnet needed to be on the edge of the can where the lid is located. 
I realized my mistake, and the volunteers were extremely helpful and patient, as I tried several times to figure it out. They even offered to Google it and find online directions. Once we all figured it out, the can opener started to work. Woohoo! It was a good experience, and I got that darn can open. Unquote. And finally, this from Deanna Noriega. Quote, I live in a low-income residential area. Last summer, I trained with a new guide dog. He is skilled at letting me know when to be careful of my footing, guiding me around obstacles in our path, and clearing me from coming into contact with limbs, poles, parked cars, and other dangers. However, he doesn't know where I want to go until I instruct him. I got confused when he walked diagonally across an intersection. The problem was, to cut costs, the curb cuts were placed on the apex of the corner. To the dog, bringing me to the center of the down curb lined me up with a similar curb cut in the diagonal corner. There was no traffic, so I didn't detect the problem until I had gone some distance. I turned around to try to retrace my steps. The Bluetooth headset I used to access a GPS app had run out of power and turned off. Confused and uncertain, I called for a Be My Eyes volunteer. He stayed online, having me go to the nearest intersection and slowly turn until he could see the street sign. He then described the buildings he could see to help me verify which way I needed to proceed to get back home. He was on the phone with me for about 20 minutes until I was confident I knew how to get home, unquote. And to learn more or download the Be My Eyes app, go to profiles.bemyeyes.com. That's profiles.bemyeyes.com. The Be My Eyes app is free and available for iPhone and Android users. Stay tuned for additional posts about how Be My Eyes is working for APH Connect Center callers. The APH Connect Center empowers people of all ages who are blind or low vision toward greater independence and lifelong success by providing curated information and resources. In addition to reaching the APH Connect Center through the Be My Eyes app, you can call 1-800-232-5463. That's 1-800-232-5463. And you can call that number Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Or shoot an email to connectcenter at aph.org. For our next story in this week's edition of the Blindness and Disability News Hour, let's turn to the American Council of the Blind at acb.org and their Braille Forum for March of 2023. This is an article written by Jeff Tom. I hate data. But then again, there is no question that data drives the world we live in. Whether it's used for policy-making decisions on funding public programs, sports analytics, marketing and branding just about everything, dating sites, weather forecasting, or just about anything else you can think of, data plays an important part. I wouldn't describe myself as a data wonk, 
Rather, I tend to view things in a somewhat binary way, good or evil, right or wrong, desirable or undesirable, etc. Even though I know the world isn't really that way. However, I sometimes wonder whether my frustration with data stems from another, more physiological reason. Having been born with retinopathy of prematurity, as it is now known, it is my understanding that I have an excuse for my utter absence of the ability to work in a special context. This manifests itself in various ways, including seemingly being able to get lost in a closet, not being able to handle a jigsaw puzzle with more than a handful of pieces, never really catching on to the right mode for doing a snowplow during my skiing days, not being able to effectively use complex Excel spreadsheets, and so on. So, why am I writing an article about data when I am clearly one of the least qualified among us to talk about the topic? The answer is that I recently participated in a Boston College study that gives me hope that the day may come when even those who struggle to effectively access data, such as me, will find that we too have the tools to become data geeks. As we all know, Data in the visual world in which we live is most often presented in a graphic form which, from the outset, places anyone who is blind or has low vision at some degree of disadvantage. The aim of the study was to research potential methodologies for making data easily understandable by people with vision loss. The study had two major components. First, it provided different methods of accessing data using screen reading software, and in each case, the participant is required to answer questions about the data. The first mechanism for accessing data was the ability to ask questions about the data verbally or by typing them on the screen. It almost reminded me of playing a computer game. In fact, the questions that it could answer depended in part on the information in the data table, but also on how you asked the question. However, as artificial intelligence becomes even more able to interact with humanity, the greater capacity such a platform will have, and the only limit will eventually be the information contained on the table itself. The second data access mechanism was the ability to rearrange the data in descending or ascending order. This approach made it easier to select the type of information that you were trying to collect from the data table. The final mechanism gave you the ability to move around the chart with your screen reader. For example, if you were looking at state poverty rates in each year during the 21st century, you would change the arrangement of the data to be by year, by state, or by a specified poverty rate percentage. By requiring you to answer various questions about the data, it was easy to realize how sighted folks can visually shift the data in their mind's eye without even thinking about it. Moreover, it illustrates how, if people with vision impairments also have this capacity, it will be far easier for us to extract information about what the data shows. The tables were formatted in a way that made them easily readable for people who are blind. During the study, I found myself frustrated at times, in part because I wasn't using the right commands to make the program work, or because it took longer than I would have liked to find answers to the questions that were asked. 
I am not as patient as my mom would have wanted me to be, and I am competitive in situations where there isn't even really of any importance. However, after reflecting on my experience subsequent to completion of the study, I realized that its methodologies really had the potential to markedly enhance the ability of people who are blind or have low vision to effectively access and analyze data. Given the constant and utterly amazing advances in technology and our knowledge base, I can't even begin to envision what data research mechanisms will look like for our community in five years. But even a dinosaur is willing to hang on for the ride. Let's continue with this week's edition of the Blindness and Disability News Hour with a visit to the American Foundation for the Blind at afb.org and the current issue of Access World magazine. The article we're going to listen to was written by Steve Kelly, Iris Vision's new edition, The Inspire. The new Iris Vision Inspire is setting a new standard for comfort and video quality in a wearable device. The Inspire pairs a smaller profile, lightweight virtual reality or VR headset with a powerful smartphone to deliver performance in a comfortable wearable with some of the best image quality available, and integrates voice commands to make navigating the Inspire simple. Iris Vision uses a Samsung Galaxy S21 phone to power the Inspire and remove the phone from the headset so that the glasses are lighter and more comfortable. The headset connects to the phone's USB port with a cable. The phone is covered in a sturdy, clear case that can be connected to an included lanyard so the phone can be worn around the neck or shoulders. Once the phone is powered on, the Inspire can be operated with controls found and identified easily on the headset or with a Bluetooth remote control, which is included. In addition, one of the most convenient features is the ability to use voice commands to operate the Inspire. Getting started. The Inspire ships in a hardcover carrying case and includes the headset, the phone, a fast charger stand, remote control, lanyard for the phone, the head strap, and a detailed user guide. When powered on, the Galaxy phone opens to the preloaded Inspire software. Using the Android menu to open settings, the user can connect to Wi-Fi and turn on Bluetooth for both the remote control and earbuds. Neither the headset nor the phone use an audio jack. Like other Android phones, the Galaxy has an accessibility menu available in settings to turn on magnification, contrast, or talkback if needed during this setup. Following the directions in the user guide, the headset is plugged in and connected, and the remote is paired. The remote is not essential for operation because all the controls are available on the headset. The remote is really handy, though, because it provides a trigger button that activates the listening mode for voice commands and a touchpad for swipe gestures that, for some users, will be easier to use than the controls on the phone. The Inspire has a complete set of controls built into the headset. Two distinct buttons are beneath both the left and right display. A slide is beneath each lens to fine-tune focus for each eye. 
With the headset on, from left to right, the controls are as follows. 1. Cycle through primary menu items. 2. Select a menu item. 3. Cycle in reverse through secondary menu items. And 4. Cycle forward through secondary menu items. How does the Inspire work? Inspire provides a wide variety of viewing modes with the, head, the headset. The primary menu options include the following modes or apps, and each has its own secondary menu of options. Each secondary menu contains voice command as the first menu option, so at any one of the menus, voice command can be selected and a verbal command used to navigate through the menus. Welcome mode includes global and device settings such as volume, control, brightness, or the option to turn off either the right or left eye display. Scene mode is a full-color display of the scene viewed through the headset, which may be magnified up to 10 times. Bubble mode is similar to the scene view and includes a bubble or circular area within the scene, which can be magnified while the rest of the scene remains unmagnified. Television mode provides a set of options to enhance the exposure, contrast, and brightness of another screen display, like a television, computer, or tablet. Reading light mode provides color tints used for reading, like yellow, green, or a dark mode that inverts the color so black print on a white background is converted to white text on a dark background. Like other modes, this contains a menu option for flashlight on which provides an additional light from the headlight uh, from the headset itself rp mode which stands for the eye condition retinitis pigmentosa which limits the peripheral field of view this mode is designed to narrow the field of view through the headset similar to the way a prism might be used to enhance the view for a user with rp glaucoma and other similar eye conditions Bioptic mode emulates bioptic glasses, so that a smaller, rectangular, magnified view of a portion of the screen appears at either the top or the bottom of the display. OCR mode, or optical character recognition, is a mode that enhances a picture, a picture of text to be taken and processed into digital text, which is then enlarged on the display and read out loud with the words highlighted as they are read. OCR can be performed on the Inspire even when not connected to Wi-Fi. Outline mode creates a live, high-contrast outline of the screen, viewed through the headset. Some of the menu options include changing the color of the outline, boldness, and magnification. YouTube mode provides enhanced viewing of YouTube videos. Searches are by voice command and search results displayed as menu items. When magnification is increased, it is like watching the video on a virtual large screen. The user can move their head to view different portions of the magnified screen. And finally, settings mode contains a variety of global device settings, including brightness, volume, field of view, audio speed, etc. Also, from settings, the Inspire can be put to sleep or shut down. And let's take a look at the remote control. 
The Inspire is navigated easily with the four buttons located below the display, as described above, with the notable exception of voice commands. Each secondary menu has voice command as the top menu option, but it takes a click or two to get there. The addition of a trigger switch on the remote enables the user to push any switch anytime to make a voice command, so navigation can be much simpler with the remote. Some users will find the swipe gestures on the remote's small touchpad, side to side and up and down, easier than using the controls on the headset. For example, the swipe gestures allow navigating the primary menu both forward and in reverse. Using the controls on the headset, users navigate the primary menu moving forward only, which means going to the end of the menu and cycling back through options. The remote makes it easier to navigate back to a missed menu item. And here's some overall impressions. Iris Vision's Inspire includes a wide variety of modes for viewing. The Bioptic, Bubble, and RP modes are for a specific group of low vision users, who will find them uniquely designed for their needs. Overall, the image quality on the Inspire headset is quite good, thanks perhaps to the processing power in the Galaxy S21. Like other wearables, as the ambient light gets dim, the image does also pixelate. The headset is one of the most comfortable wearables, in part because the phone is not attached so it is lightweight, and it has a padded inner lining that blocks out additional light and keeps the image quality sharp. The flip side of the padded headset is that it is not really designed for users wearing glasses. Glasses may be accommodated by taking the removable lining out. The speakers on the Inspire are located below and to the right of each display. As a result, they seem to be partially covered by the padded insert. For most users, this will be inconsequential. For those with hearing loss, the speakers may be underpowered. Earbuds may be connected by Bluetooth for those needing more volume. This reviewer was able to connect hearing aids to the Galaxy, but the audio cont continued to be sent to the headset speakers. It is possible that there is an additional setting on the Inspire that was overlooked that would allow hearing aids to be used with the headset. OCR on the Inspire is quick and accurate. This reviewer did notice a greater level of accuracy when the Inspire was connected to Wi-Fi. It is a bonus to have an onboard option, so if Wi-Fi is unavailable, OCR is still accessible. One of the examples used during the review was a three-column magazine article that has been problematic for other OCR software, and the Inspire managed it well. As is the case with other wearables, the optimal distance for capturing an image of a printed page in a magazine or newspaper is often more than an arm's length, so it may be helpful to use a reading stand or place reading material a couple of feet away when taking a picture for OCR. Once text is captured and processed, the OCR menu enables changing the text and background color for greater contrast and magnifying the text in the display. Text is highlighted as it is read out loud. YouTube mode is an excellent feature, both for the ease of searching by voice and the headset display that seems to create a virtual screen as the display is magnified, so it feels as if you are looking at a large screen and can move your head back and forth to see different portions of the magnified image. 
Within YouTube, a search term... The Center for People with Disabilities Beyond Vision program provides peer support groups for people who are visually impaired or blind. Connect with members of your community, create new relationships, learn new skills and techniques, listen to guest speakers, and learn how to connect with local resources. Beyond Vision events are hosted monthly on the third Wednesday of every month at 1 p.m. and are accessed online through Google Meet. Upcoming topics by month include... March, Blind Shell Classic 2. March, Blind Shell Classic 2. March, Blind Shell Classic 2. To attend an event, you may RSVP by emailing beyondvision at cpwd.org or by calling 720-526-2804. Again, that is 720-526-2804. Once registered, you will receive a link or call-in information to join through your computer, tablet, or phone. Space is limited, so please RSVP as soon as possible. If you are unable to make the sessions, but you want to get connected with a skills trainer, request an accommodation, or find more information, please contact Estefania Corral by emailing estefania at cpwd.org or by calling 720-526-2804. That number again is 720-526-2804. Welcome to 2023 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. We have a huge epidemic of fentanyl problem uh, created by uh, intentional acts by the cartels. We are doing everything we can within our resources to fight that. Attorney General Merrick Garland testified before a Senate committee Wednesday facing questions about the investigation into Hunter Biden and the department's response to the fentanyl crisis. Another hearing focused on Denver International Airport CEO Phil Washington's confirmation to lead the Federal Aviation Administration. Democrats rallied behind President Biden's pick, while Republicans like Texas Senator Ted Cruz heavily criticized Washington's lack of aviation safety experience. As I look at your record, I see a record where you've got experience with buses, you've got experience with trains. Buses and trains are very different from planes. Other committee members focused on Washington's successes as an Army veteran who has led transit agencies in Denver and Los Angeles and one of the largest airports in the world. The Senate passed a resolution nullifying a Biden administration Department of Labor rule on environmental, social and governance investing, which some are saying could lead to Biden's first veto. The rule allows managers of retirement plans to weigh climate change as well as other environmental, social and governance issues in their investment decisions. Republicans see the measure as the Biden administration prioritizing a liberal agenda instead of protecting retirement accounts. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, along with other GOP leaders, discussed the Parents' Bill of Rights proposal, which aims to provide more transparency to parents about their children's educational experience. Bill author and Louisiana Representative Julia Letlow says virtual learning ushered in by the pandemic gave parents an opportunity to see what their kids were learning and left many parents disheartened. And so then we did the right thing, right? We went to our school boards and we voiced our displeasure, but we were turned away and some of us were even labeled domestic terrorists. Public education has become a hot topic issue for GOP lawmakers, resulting in what some are now calling a culture war over school curriculum. 
On Wednesday, President Joe Biden nominated Julie Sue to replace outgoing Marty Walsh as Secretary of Labor. If confirmed for the position, she will be the first Asian American to serve in Biden's cabinet. Mr. President, when you said you wanted to be the most pro-worker, pro-union president in history and restore decency and build the middle class, I said, sign me up for that. I want to help do that. During the White House ceremony, President Biden called Sue the American dream. Sue was confirmed by the Senate in 2021 to her current role as Deputy Labor Secretary. I'm Alex Gonzalez for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Did you know AINC offers time and weather services on our regular phone menu? Just call 303-786-7777 extension 5 for your local time and weather report. No internet needed.